Uh, I want you to remember that enthusiasm um, when we get into the verses of Scripture that we're going to study. Um, we're continuing Romans, our study through the book of Romans. The series is titled Applying the Gospel, Applying the Good News. And we're going to begin in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18 to 20. And then we're going to go to Romans chapter 1, 26 to 32. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 to 20 says the following. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to gather with your people, to, to, to bring ourselves under the authority of your word, and we ask that you would speak to us. We need to hear your voice. Holy Spirit, fill this place with your very presence and reveal Jesus, glorify him, help us to see Christ in a fresh and living way, and we thank you, Father, for your love. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Um, if you didn't know by now, uh, you have officially arrived at the uh, let's talk about sex Sunday. And so you're like, oh, wow, I didn't know that that's what we were doing. I thought we were in Romans 1. Um, and we will go to Romans 1. However, before we go to Romans 1 and continue where we left off, I felt it was actually important to kind of zoom out, kind of look at some stuff 30,000 feet, because unless we get the fuller conversation that God is having with us, it's going to be difficult. We're going to struggle to get to the point where God is trying to bring us. And so it, Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20 gives us some helpful context for where we're heading in Romans 1. Um, and what we find here is something that I want to recognize and name is very countercultural. Um, in fact, I feel very vulnerable preaching this. I feel very much like I'm out on the limb um, and like, uh, I'm exposed, I'm out there because I recognize that what this verse says actually sounds like a message, an idea from another planet in our world because it's telling us a few things that I think in our culture, in our moment in time, we will struggle with. One, it actually tells us that there's something known as, categorized as sexual sin. Now, just process that. Um, in our culture, the idea of the word sin being attached to anything sexual is something that our culture says, hard stop, no, I don't want to hear anymore. Because in our culture, we're told that our sexual desires should be pursued without any limitation. Um, no breaks should be applied. In fact, the opposite should happen. We should accelerate, add more gas to it, no limits. But actually what we're hearing in this verse is that God actually has a design for our sexuality. He has a prescribed architectural design. He has a purpose in mind. And so why we need to pay attention to what God would say to us, because here's a very simple way to understand what scripture tells us in contrast to our culture. Our culture tells us 
You can have a great sexuality, sexual experience, sex life if you do X, Y, and Z. And God listens to all that and says, actually, you will have the greatest and unbelievable and unmatched sexual life if you follow my design. In other words, God's saying, I will do better. I can do better. Um, I designed something way better than what the world offers you. So God has this glorious invitation for us, and it actually tells us this. It says, verse 20, you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. And so it's, it's attaching the word honor, which another way of understanding it is glory. And, and so if we're listening, God is saying that his design for our sexuality is actually glorious. It's amazing. It's unmatched. It's absolutely incredible. But he's also saying that in light of our sexual brokenness and sin at work in our life, there are limits that he has put upon us so that his design could be experienced. And so what we're seeing here is the tension of that. That God has this glorious design for sex, but because of sin, he's created guardrails on our sexual desires so that we could actually experience his design. Let's dive in a little bit deeper. Because it says we're to honor God with our bodies. So sex, from God's perspective, it's designed to be glorious, to be also to be part of one of the ways that we worship God. Now, I know for some of us that already is a bit like disorienting because it's like, actually, my sexuality feels like the least worshipful aspect of my life. Um, Because for some of us, we're dealing with sexual addictions. We're dealing with sexual trauma, sexual shame. And so the idea that God designed our sexuality and he intends it to be one of the ways that we worship him feels very foreign to many of us, if we're honest. And so the fact that God is saying his design is that we would glorify him with our bodies, that he has a design for our sexuality, that the way we steward our sexuality is one of the ways we worship him, this is disorienting. It's countercultural. It's something that, it's a message that's coming at us from a totally different vantage point than the one the world is constantly feeding us. But the other thing that makes this disorienting, and we have to be honest about this, is that God is telling us his design for sex is glorious. He has a plan for it. He does have limits that he puts on our sexual desires. He's telling us all this, but why it's still difficult to process this, because if we're honest, sex has been at the center of so much pain in our world. It's not like intrinsically accepted as a good thing for very valid reasons. Just look at the number of people that have experienced unwanted sexual advances, in particular women. Look at the many traumatic experiences that happen in our world. If you've ever talked with someone that's wrestling with sexual addiction, you will also be reminded that this thing that God created as glorious and as good isn't experienced as glorious and as good by everybody and anybody. And so what is the good news of the Christian sexual ethic? Why is this good news? Why should we be paying attention? What does God have to say to us? We have a lot to wrestle with. And I remember 
when I became a Christian, I was 14 years old. But I wasn't the typical 14-year-old in that I was this height. I had facial hair, like a lot of facial hair. I looked like I was 20. I hung out with men that were 20 and older. My voice was this deep by the age of 11. It was, it was, it was freak, freakish. Um, I'm, I'm convinced my mom was feeding me steroids and my cornflakes. Something was up. Um, and when I first was introduced to the gospel, to following Jesus, one of the most terrifying moments early on was when I was introduced to this idea of a Christian sexual ethic, that God actually had a plan for how I steward my body and my sexual desires. It was terrifying to find out at the age of 14 that basically everybody I knew, including myself, was living outside of God's design. Because in my neighborhood at that time, my friends, sex was like a sport. We were just trying to be with as many people as we could. Um, it didn't matter what kind of hurt and damage we created to ourselves, to others. And notice, 1 Corinthians 6.18 says something actually that we should pay attention to. I think we could, whether you agree with this or not, it actually hits home um, because it says, flee, sexual, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Man, I remember that experience of we're pursuing pleasure with no limits, and yet, if we're honest, this doesn't fully feel great. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of brokenness in this. There, it, this isn't, this, we were promised a rainbow, but we got a, a thunderstorm in exchange. This isn't lining up because what Scripture tells us, that there's a way, if we're outside of God's boundaries and God's design, it is a sin against even our own body. It causes harm to ourselves. When I found that out, it was terrifying. Because in my situation, the first married couple I ever met was when I was 14 and I came to church. I knew nobody that was married. When I actually sat and did the math on that, I was like, how the heck did that happen? How, how did I find myself in this weird, like, mathematical anomaly? Like, no one I knew. Now, I knew people that were... Uh, with each other for decades, and, and they, for all intents and purposes, they considered themselves married, but like actually married, married? No. And, and so why is that relevant? Because this idea of sexual immorality, or another word that's used in different translations, fornication, it's this idea of pursuing sexual desires outside of the bounds of God's design for marriage. And in my situation, everybody I knew that's where they were living. That's where they were parked. It was terrifying. Because I realized we were in a very bad pit. We were in deep. And only God could rescue us. But why does Paul say this to the Corinthian church? And we're, we're actually, it's kind of funny. We're hanging out with two churches this morning. Corinthian church, and then we're going to hang out with the Roman church in a few moments. But the Corinthian church, this is actually relevant. Why he's telling them that fornication, sexual immorality is a sin against their own body is because at that time, the Corinthians, that, their culture, they actually argued that sin was only a matter of inner conscience, 
that sin only mattered in the, in the soul, in your motives. And so for them, the idea that you could sin sexually, sin with your body, wasn't a category for them. And so Paul is saying, actually, if we understand God's design, that you are not just a believer in God, but you actually become the temple of the living God, the Holy Spirit lives in your body as a believer, then what you do with your body matters. That is what Paul is trying to tell these Corinthian believers. He's, he's like bluntly rebutting that with this, with this principle of he who sins sexually sins against their own body. And so he's saying this is far from harmless. Um, God has a plan for this, for our bodies. He has an intention for our sexuality. But, the, but this way of life needs to be very clear. When Paul was preaching this, and now as we as a church preach it, it should always be countercultural. We should always find ourselves landing in a particular place that doesn't neatly fit within our culture's narrative. Because otherwise, if we're not, then what is distinctly Christ-like about us? If we're just another version of our society that says, just pursue your desires, never curtail them, there's no limits to them, that's actually what freedom is, just nothing but gas, no brakes, um, th then what are we actually saying? But actually what scripture is saying is something quite different. And it's quite glorious if we actually understand it. But here's another layer, and we're getting to Romans, I promise you. Here's another layer that complicates this conversation. And I think we as the church, particular as preachers, I need to own this myself for folks like me who preach and teach the word, is that sadly, we offer as like this silver bullet, this like magic wand recipe for sexual desire, sexual brokenness, trying to follow Jesus in this space, here's the one thing that we typically say, and it's really an insufficient answer. We'll say, you know how God intends to fix this, to help you? Enter into a heterosexual marriage. That's going to solve everything. And I'm glad I'm hearing giggles here in the room because you already know if that was the solution then we wouldn't have so much of the brokenness that we have. Now, did God design marriage between a man and a woman? Absolutely. That's what we see in Scripture. That's very plain in Scripture. However, for us to purport that that is the solution, that that's the answer to this complex brokenness, is really, un it's, it's a misunderstanding of how deep this issue is. Because where's the good news for people who remain single, if marriage is the ultimate solution to us and God has called you to be single or you live a life of singleness for, for other reasons, where's the good news for that if the solution is always on the other side of heterosexual marriage? But I'll, I'll raise another one. If you're someone who has same-sex attraction, where's the good news for you if that, that is the only way that you could actually experience fulfillment and freedom in this life? in this area of your life. And so there is a problem. We have this thing called sexual immorality that, that we constantly are drawing outside the lines. We're constantly coloring outside the bounds. We're always 
finding ourselves in that space and God's calling us back to his design. There's all this brokenness that we're struggling and the answers we tend to give are insufficient. And so before we go to Romans 1, here's what I want to say up front. If, bless you, if this is new, if this feels like, oh, this feels like left field, been coming to this church for a bit, I didn't know that this might be where they're coming from. I apologize if it feels like a bait and switch, but actually it's no bait and switch. I have consistently preached this for many years. You can go to our website and hear the the previous messages. Nothing what I'm about to say today is new in terms of who we are and where we land. And I hope that resonates to say, if these people that I've found to be consistently loving and gracious have held these convictions all along, then maybe this is something I need to further explore and have conversation rather than shutting it down. And that's exactly what we intend to do. In the fall, we're going to call a town hall meeting, and we're going to dive into this conversation of human sexuality way deeper than I could ever do in one sermon. So if you walk away today with questions, with need for clarity, I welcome you to email me, reach out, And I really ask for you to consider, plan on participating when we gather in the fall for this for this conversation, because we are going to seek to learn together. We're a church from day one that we have tried to be a community that says everyone is welcomed at the table. As long as everyone recognizes that we will all be called by Jesus to pick up our cross and follow him. In other words, attention is everyone is welcome, but no one at the end of the day is going to feel uncomfortable. Rather, we're all going to feel uncomfortable. It's a tension of being uncomfortable in the gracious welcome that Jesus extends to us. And that's who we're going to continue to be. We have a bigger conversation coming up in the fall. With that, let's go to some of the heaviest, most charged, difficult verses in the entire New Testament the very verses that many of my pastor friends kept telling me, why are you doing this to yourself? You, you, you're unhappy? What's going on? Uh, you'll see why. Um, these verses are avoided. But with integrity, if we're preaching through Romans, I could not, with integrity, skip past them and act like they don't exist. Um, especially because there's actually amazing good news in these verses if we hear what God is actually trying to tell us. Romans chapter 1, verse 26 to 32 says, For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things 
deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Wow. If that doesn't take your breath away, I don't know what will. Unfortunately, the way some have preached this text and the way we can read it if we're not careful is that it could sound like God is singling out people with same-sex attraction. And I could understand how that can be misconstrued, but actually, if you read the entire context of Romans 1, which we've been in for a little bit, you know that the theme of Romans 1, the verses we've been in since verse 18 till now, has been a theme of describing us as having this perennial problem called idolatry. That the core of our spiritual sickness is that we keep replacing God with things. We keep exchanging the creator for created things. And Romans 1 tells us that we are actively forgetting God. That though what can be evident about him is seen in all creation, his power, his attributes, and we know him in our conscience, we're constantly forgetting him intentionally, erasing him from our memories, acting as if he's not real, living as if he's not real in this kind of like disloyal posture toward God. So much so that we learned last week one of God's responses to that is this thing called wrath. And we learn that the wrath of God is experienced by us, by humanity, not by the thunderbolts and lightning. The wrath of God is experienced by that phrase that says, he gave them up. We talked about that the way we experience the wrath of God is essentially God saying, I'm going to give you what you keep insisting that you want. You want your job to be your God. You want your relationships to be your God. You want these created things to take my place. This is going to be very disastrous for you. Your life is going to crumble. The, the, your, those things can't carry the weight of who you are, but you keep insisting on it, so I'm going to give you up to it. Now, that's not without pain. That God aches. His heart breaks knowing that we're choosing so incorrectly. But in the midst of that conversation of idolatry and God giving us up to our idolatrous impulses, then we come to verse 26 and onward, which if you follow that train of thought, what it's saying is that sexual brokenness is one of many expressions of our idolatry. It's one of many. It's not the only one. It's not elevating one over the other. And also, to be very clear, when it lists this incredibly thorough yet incomplete, it's not exhaustive, even though it feels exhaustive, when it says they're gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, it's giving us a list that is not exhaustive, but it's thorough to say there's this state of being, of life, that you'll find yourself in if you keep following the idolatrous impulses that you keep begging to be your God, that you keep asking me to give you over to them essentially because you keep refusing me in exchange for these things. And so in that context, that's where sexual brokenness is presented. Why is that important? Because if you misread these verses, you can come away with the very painful yet false idea 
that God hates people with same-sex attraction. There is nothing biblical about that idea. The entire Bible rejects that idea. If God, if the good news of Jesus is not good news for people with same-sex attraction, then it's not good news for any of us. It's good news for all of us. The gospel is good news for all of us. And so it's not singling out, it's not raising one above the other, but it is introducing an idea that I want us to wrestle with because I want to acknowledge perhaps there's some in this room that say, I disagree with the conclusion where you're heading to. And I need you to know, I came into the pulpit knowing that that exists and, and I've known that's existed before this Sunday. I know that that'll exist after this Sunday. And yet, you're still loved and welcomed here. And, and this is your church community. And we're grateful that you're here. It, it, I don't know if you noticed, we don't have, like, an ideological metal detector at the door, you know, where it's just like, ah, you're a little too left-leaning, a little too right-leaning. Go, you know, fix that up and then come back. No, we're, everyone is welcome to come and learn at the feet of Jesus to be his disciple in this community. Yet in the midst of that, if we can't accept these basic ideas, wherever we land on this question of sexual brokenness, we're going to struggle. And this is the basic idea. That idolatry, that sin, has so infused itself into our life that our sexuality is not exempt from that. In other words, if you and I can't accept that sin and idolatry isn't impacting how we understand our sexuality, then we're going to have a hard time with what Scripture tells us. We're going to have a hard time when God puts limits on our sexual desire if we think that there's nothing wrong with any of our sexual desires. And so with that baseline premise in mind, that what Romans 1 is really talking about is idolatry, and it gives us many, under, many moments to understand, like specific expressions of that idolatry, and sexual brokenness is one of them. If we can't accept that that is true of us, then we're actually not going to be able to have the fuller conversation and here's why I would beg you to accept the fact that we are sexually broken, every single one of us, and that we need Jesus to meet us in this very important area of our life is because I don't know how anyone can honestly look at our world and our culture and say that we have figured out sexuality. With, with credibility, with a straight face, to say that we don't need any help in this area, that it's all mapped out. I think it's safe to say we need God's rescue. We need his help. There's so much brokenness and confusion. You know, you know we're, when it comes to how we understand our sexuality, our identity, our desires, it, it, for me at times it feels like 
our society as a whole like needs a designated driver. You know what that's like? You ever been around somebody who's just ingested too much alcohol and they're insistent on driving? It's like, no, you're, you're not good. You can't do this. Your judgment is impaired. You're, you're gonna, and it, it's like, and actually Romans 1 tells us because of our idolatry, our understanding becomes darkened. And yet in this state that we don't actually, we're not seeing reality accurately, we're making all these decisions and, and landing on all these conclusions when it comes to our sexuality as if we have figured it out. And yet God is here with this blueprint that says, if you let me, I can help you actually experience the fullness that you're seeking in this very important area of your life. This is tough, isn't it? How many want to be a pastor after this Sunday? (laughs) No, mom and dad, I don't want to do that anymore. Um, This is not easy to process, but I think it's not easy for a few reasons. I, you know, I was, I was at a coffee shop in the city. Um, I recently discovered, I didn't know they had all these chains. Um, it's this coffee shop called Maman. I think I'm saying that correctly. It's French. I think it means mother. Um, anyway, it's a beautiful like chain and you walk in and the space is, it's not like kind of like a stale kind of minimalistic, you know, just bare bones. They, it makes you feel like you've stepped into a, a totally different place. You're like, I'm not in the city anymore. It's like this little oasis. Um, and trust me, for me to notice those things, I'm, I'm like kind of oblivious. Like I could work in a dumpster. It doesn't matter. Just like heaps. I'm like got emails to do. I could, I could focus. I don't know. It's not always good. Um, but I noticed, I was like, wow, this place is really nice. Apparently Oprah says that, um, it's the best cookie in New York, you know, in the city. And she gets them delivered wherever. Wow, y'all really respect Oprah's opinion. You're like, wow, I got to get me some. And so they're, they're, they also have really good pistachio chocolate croissants, which I was so sad to realize that someone like me who's actually trying to make better health choices, I should never have one of those. It's just bad. It's just there's nothing redemptive about it. So anyway, I'm there in the space. Wow, it's beautiful. And you may not know this, but for, since our church started, we've never had a central office. Um, we've done that intentionally. One, it saves us money. But two, I've also, like, I really love the fact that it's forced us to kind of always be in the community. When we're meeting with people, we meet near your home or near your office. And um, by virtue of that, we are Wi-Fi hunters. If you want to know where there's Wi-Fi, talk to your boy. I can help you out. I know where there's Wi-Fi everywhere. I got secret offices everywhere. I've had to. I walk into my mom. I'm like, oh, this place is beautiful. It's nice. Pull out my laptop. Get my latte. I was drinking it with my pinky up, of course. You know, sophisticated. And I see this sign on the table. And the sign says... Um, we've designed this place to be like an oasis, relax, be refreshed. And I, I ain't gonna lie, like my shoulders came down. I was like, oh wow, thank you, my mom, this is amazing. <laughs> I'm feeling good. And then it said, my mom is a laptop free environment. And so we want you to close your laptop and talk to someone. I was like, let me stop you right there, my mom. You don't. 
Don't put limits on me. I, I didn't come here. I'm by myself. I need to send emails. If I was with someone, I would talk with them. But, and I did something that I'm not proud of. I'll be honest. I said, forget the sign. And so I just kept working. <laughs> Pray for your pastor. I'm a human being. I was just like, no. Uh-uh. And then I, I awkwardly, by making that choice, I put one of the staff workers in the awkward position to have to come to me and say, oh, sir. And when she came to me, then I was feeling like such a jerk. I'm like, Chris, you're a grown man. Read the sign. Why? <laughs> this is your rebel moment? You know, like I was like this. But then I closed the laptop, and I ain't going to lie. I left. I was angry. I was just like, and they limited me. You know, like, how dare they? And at that moment, I forgot that it's Oprah's favorite cookie, and that it's beautiful, and, and they wanted me to relax. So all I was focused on was this limit. And if you could follow with me, I think in many ways that's how we react when God speaks to us and tells us, I actually have a limit on your desires. There's certain ways that you want to pursue your desires that I have a limit that I'm putting on you. And when we hear that limit, at that moment, we forget that he also said, but I love you and your home. And in me, you're going to find rest and fulfillment and what you're looking for. You can only find it in me. And regardless of what you've been through and, and what's happened to you, you're home. And I see you and I love you and I know you. All of that gets muted, and all we hear is the audacity of the living God to have a different plan for us than the one that we contrived. How dare God come to us with a different blueprint than the one that we have sworn is immaculate? So let's be very clear. If we're resisting what Romans 1 is saying What we're resisting is the idea that idolatry could seep into our sexuality. But if you hear that idea, if you don't resist it, that's something that speaks to all of us. Not just people that have same-sex attraction. Every single one of us in this room, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, is sexually broken. Every single one of us. I can't tell you the number of couples I've sat with and have heard their frustrations and their tensions. And sex is one of the big reasons why they're experiencing these frustrations and their tensions. And broadly speaking, what a lot of those moments are wrestling with is the fact that we're looking to each other to heal our sexual brokenness. And that's why I said earlier, it's an incomplete answer to think that Marriage is going to save us. Only Jesus can save us in this area of our life. Because it's only him who's designed this area of our life. He knows how it works best. And it's when we cease to wrestle against his will and his design that we actually could experience a fulfillment in this area of our life that's really unbelievable. That nothing the world could ever offer us will match what God is offering us. As people who all struggle with idolatry, 
Our sexuality is one of many created things that we end up replacing God with. If we're honest, our sexuality is both the, the area of our life where we feel the furthest from God, where it doesn't feel like it's part of our worship, it feels riddled with shame and confusion and pain, but it also is problematic because we tend to make it God. We tend to live in a way that if we don't have our desires fulfilled in this area of our life, we can't live. And here's the tragic thing that society is setting us up for. It's setting us up for a real big disappointment because society tells us, it tells us this. It says that you are your desires. And that may sound liberating and freeing, but actually it's reducing us to desires. And yet Jesus tells us you're actually more than your desires. I heard of a story of a young man who had same-sex attraction and he left the church because he felt he was misunderstood and not loved. And, and, and man, it broke my heart. But then I was surprised that he came back to the church and he began to wrestle with following Jesus. And when he was asked, why did you leave the new community that you were like you made home with, and, and these were your people, and you came back to the church. And his answer was startling. He said, I found that in my community with other people that had same-sex attraction, that that's all they could offer me. That all they did was affirm that aspect of my life, but I have a way bigger life than that. And so he wanted to figure out how to follow Jesus again because he realized the path of just like, like blessing and saying there's no curtailing on your desires at all and you could just f like fully and freely follow them with no limits. It was like it was reducing my life to just desires. Jesus doesn't reduce our life to just sexual desires. It's actually he elevates and broadens our life to so much more. And that's why this is good news for all of us, that for people who make our idolatry the core of our life and for people who tend to make sexuality the center of our life, those very people, Jesus is bent on saving. It's almost to say, if you don't have sexual brokenness, then you probably shouldn't apply to be a disciple of Jesus. If you do have sexual brokenness, which I would argue we all do, guess what? Then you are uniquely qualified to meet Jesus in that area of your life. I referenced the quote earlier. I wanted to make sure I... Uh, appropriated, um, rather attributed it correctly. This great author, his name is Sam Alberry. He's a pastor, he's a writer, and he has uh, same-sex attraction, and yet he lives a celibate life. He follows Jesus. Um, 
And he says this very phrase, he says, if the gospel isn't good news for people with same-sex attraction, then it isn't good news for people with heterosexual attraction. In other words, what he's trying to say is it's not two separate gospels. It's not good news for people who are sexually broken in this way, and then we have to come up with a different good news for people who are sexually broken differently. No, it's good news for all of us. And so as we land this very turbulent-filled plane ride that has been this sermon, I land it reminding us that this is a complex conversation. I also land it reminding us that God's ethic of love and grace is interwoven in all of his commands. And so if you and I land on a particular conviction, but somehow we find ourselves being unloving toward others, then I don't think you and I could say we landed on a conviction that God is meeting us at. In other words, we're called to hold the tension of truth and love. So if you hear Christians being unkind, uncharitable, toward people of various sexual brokenness. That's not Christ-like. If we become a community where you're not welcomed and you're not loved and received, if you have various struggles of whatever sort, like it's only a church for some kind of people, then we've missed the community that Jesus has called us to create. This is an area of lordship that Jesus wants to increase in our lives. And so if you're feeling a wrestling, a tension, that's appropriate. You know, my prayer this whole time has been, God, help me to not needlessly offend people so that at the end of the day, you're the one offending us. And I don't know if I successfully achieved that. However, if there is some offense you're feeling, I urge you to wrestle with it because maybe if you get past my presentation and you still find yourself offended, it may be because God may be trying to really talk to you. And I got news for you. There are times when God speaks to us that it will offend us that we won't want to do what he's telling us to do. If God only tells you to do things that you want to do, I'm not sure it's God talking to you all the time. That's a God we've created in our likeness. Because that God will tell you to only like people who vote like you. That God will tell you to love people who agree with the things you agree with. That God won't tell you to forgive people that have hurt you. That God won't tell you to grow in love with people that are unlike you. And so we want to be a community where everyone is welcomed, but no one feels comfortable. Because Jesus is calling all of us to pick up our cross and follow him. And that cross may look different for you than it does for me, but if you're a disciple and you're not picking up your cross, then Jesus would say you're not yet fully a disciple.
Because every disciple has to pick up their cross, deny themselves, and follow him. In a culture that says denial of desire is the wrong way, this is going to rub against the grain. And so if we were a church, or specifically if I was a pastor that was trying to be popular, today was not a good day for that endeavor. But I think something better than popular would be to be faithful. Faithful to God, faithful to Scripture. And in that faithfulness, I acknowledged that this is a complicated conversation and I had no heirs to think that one sermon would land everything. You're probably leaving with questions, with things to process. I hope you are. And where you're at, I welcome email conversation. And I hope that you'll join us. We're working on the date. It's a little bit complicated with Denise being off. And then I'm going to be off in July. Um, we're landing something very soon. So stay tuned. Because this, imagine if we actually could offer to the world the good news of Jesus for human sexuality. Imagine. That's all of our neighbors are, are included in that invitation. That's our coworkers, that's our bosses, that's our kids. There's something really powerful to imagine and dream if we could be that kind of people in our city in this time. Could we stand as the worship team comes forward? Thank you, Jesus. As the worship team comes forward, the prayer team is going to be in the back to my right, to your left. And over these next few moments, as we respond to God in prayer and worship, if you need prayer, all you have to do is slip out of your seat and go and receive prayer in the back. I want to welcome and encourage anyone, whatever you might have a prayer request about, to go and receive prayer today. If it's prayer for your own experience of sexual brokenness, go and receive prayer today. We're all broken. We all need the grace of God. If you need prayer for that, if you need prayer as you're wrestling with this text and scripture and maybe this is just really hitting you, go and receive prayer or anything that you need prayer for. They would love to pray with you. Could I invite us? Could, if you feel comfortable doing so, could we raise our hands in the presence of God? This posture of receiving, of surrender. Jesus, we need you, Lord, to meet us in the idolatries of our soul, in the places where we replace you, and in particular, when our sexuality replaces you, when it becomes the cornerstone of our identity rather than you and your love. Meet us, Jesus. Lord, we, for many of us, we feel so much shame, so much brokenness, confusion, loneliness, and yet you want to meet us there. So we say, come, Holy Spirit. 
us now. Let's worship God. Let's lean into his presence. He's here. He wants to minister to you. He wants to lift burdens. Let's worship him. Let's encounter him together.